hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about X-Men Days of Future Past. As always, I'm your host, Corbin's a vocal, and joining me is a big quick silver fan, my co-host Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on, man? Yeah, you know, I have been called the fast man alive a couple times, so I can run the quicks over. But uh yeah, I I'm uh, you know, pretty jacked to be here. This is uh, you know, my pick, obviously. Finally, I feel like it's been about 50 episodes. Uh, JK, but uh, yeah, man, I, I'm excited to be here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Who wins in a fight, uh, Quicksilver or Ralph Boner? <laughs> I was gonna make a, a Ralph Boner joke later on, too. Um, it's probably close. I'd probably take Quicksilver, but just I mean, the name Ralph Boner, like that's just intimidating. So he, he's got a chance, I think, for sure. We are talking about X Men Days of Future Past today, Cody. Why don't we go ahead and get into it? Why do you want to talk about it? Why, 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 why so serious? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I don't really know. This is just one of my favorite movies. You know, I don't know. I mean, it came out when? 2016, 2017? 2014. Yeah. 2014. So a while now. That makes me feel really old. But I feel like, and I, I was going to say growing up, this is one of my favorite movies, but that is probably legit. Growing up, this is one of my favorite movies, which is just weird to say. But yeah, it was my pick, obviously. I was pretty much in between this or Star Trek 09, which uh, we'll get to eventually. But I figured we would just cover the best X-Men movie first um yeah in general i did i just like the x-men franchise uh i'm not really sure why because most movies are not very good but i wanted to cherry pick my favorite one of the bunch and this is by far my favorite and yeah also a super fun fact i own this movie on a dvd not even blu-ray physical media guy yeah so i only own a few movies on dvd it would be this one guardians of the galaxy uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, uh, Kingsman, and The Dark Knight in X-Men Days of Future Past. So if that doesn't tell you anything about my movie taste, I don't know what will. But um, yeah, I did watch it on DVD. I got like this. Uh, there's like uh, the Rogue Cut that's on there as well. But yeah, that, that's pretty much the main reasoning. I haven't seen it for a couple years as well. So kind of just wanted to revisit it. And yeah, we just did Real Steel, obviously, with the season. Back to back Hugh Flicks. Yeah, so if you haven't seen that episode, go check that out. But had to double down on the Jacked Man. Um, obviously, he's an integral part of this movie as well. But yeah, that's probably enough reasons, I'd say, right? Yeah, I was, you know, speaking of DVDs, my parents own a lot back home. But in terms of what we have here at the apartment, uh, I have uh, Kevin Smith's Dogma and mm-hmm. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and a nice. neon box set that has like a couple movies that that production company released like lat like two years ago so it's got like titan and spencer and i don't know some other like weird stuff on it and that, that those are the uh the dvds i have <laughs> <laughs> nice i like uh do the right thing everything else is kind of washed there but uh yeah i mean physical i mean physical dvds i feel like you don't really see those anymore these days uh disc replay i mean i don't know how they're still in business but yeah i feel like it is more and more unique as the years go along here. Well, you know, Cody, you may have had a better viewing experience than I did due to the uh, interpolation and the the quality of the streaming from Disney Plus. You know, they say it's high quality, but listen, you lose something when it goes over the internet. You got that direct, hard physical media. So I'm sure your viewing experience was so much better than mine. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, um, also, was Real Steel on Disney Plus? I can't remember. No, it was on Hulu, Hulu. right? Yeah. All right. Last season, we did a couple of Disney Pluses back to back. We never want to do that because, I mean, the big mouse, we don't really support him. But, yeah, they did buy out, you know, Fox. So, technically, it is on Disney+. Plus. 
but yeah, I, I probably did have a better experience, you know, visually and and just spiritually as well watching this film. But yeah. <laughs> Let's head over to Do You Remember? Do you remember? Cody, do you remember the first time you saw it? I do. Yeah. And um, I definitely checked this out in theaters. I believe I saw it a couple times in theaters. Uh, you know, I was one of the freshmen in high school. Would have been fresh- fin- you would have been finishing your freshman years, May. So it was like right as you were finishing up. This movie came out like a couple days before your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the the next film that came out, X-Men Apocalypse in the series, I believe came out exactly on May 27th and was a terrible birthday present because that movie's dog shit. But yeah, in the theaters, the first time watching it, I mean, within the first hour, you have a lot of cool scenes. I just remember like being like, oh shit, like I really like this movie. And yeah, also like, we'll talk about the trailer too, obviously, but I think this was probably the most hype that I maybe ever you know, was going into a movie, possibly uh, tied with like Age of Ultron, because I was unbelievably hyped by that. And I think it does speak to the trailer, which again, we'll touch on later. But yeah, I was super excited. I was a big fan of X-Men First Class. I I think I caught that on FX a couple years earlier. And um, I had already watched all the original X-Men movies too. So kind of like pairing together those two timelines, I think is just a genius idea. And like I said, I mean, growing up, you know, you kind of just get attached to certain things. But yeah, my theater experience was a lot of fun from from my memory in that. And um, I think I've seen this movie probably five times now. This may be number six or seven. So I've seen it a decent amount. But like I said, I haven't seen it for a while. And yeah, re- I mean, rewinding back to its release, I, I really did have to think like, who did I go with? I, I don't particularly remember. I think it was either my my dad or, or my friends one of those two and i saw it multiple times so it, those were probably the two groups i went with but yeah do you remember the first time you saw this corbin not specifically but i can tell you that i did not see this movie in theaters mm-hmm. i think primarily because i'm gonna listen, i was a busy kid i was involved in a lot of stuff and then like after my brother and sister were fully out of the house so like around this time like when i was in eighth grade heading into high school and before i had a license I don't feel like I went and saw a lot of stuff in theaters. So there's a little bit of a blank spot where like, yeah, I went and saw like maybe one or two movies a year with friends and then a couple with family, but like something like this, my parents weren't really interested in seeing. So like, unless I specifically set out to go do it, I just didn't, this is right as school's ending. So I've got that going on and baseball. It just like, it slipped past me. Also, I think like, X-Men, the X-Men franchise was in a very strange place at this point. I think I had seen First Class and enjoyed it, but like Origins and then you have the Wolverine, like there's some, there's some missteps in there. And I just don't think I was as tuned in. I cared about the MCU stuff. When an X-Men movie came out, I wasn't really, you know, thinking about it. And honestly, I didn't go see Apocalypse. I did see Logan, I think in theaters just barely got in on the being old enough to see a rated R movie. And then I didn't see Dark Phoenix either. Like I was pretty out on these. I think I originally saw this movie early in college. And then I finally came around and saw Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix for the first time, maybe last year. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I really enjoy that. Well, the first two X-Men movies, you know, maybe the trilogy as a whole, but I really like X2. I like the first one, but yeah, I don't know. I just I think this was a period of my life where I was kind of out on these, so I, I missed it. But uh, you know, I've come back and I've I've seen it a couple times now. Nice. And yeah, I mean, I don't blame you at all. The X Men franchise as a whole, not the best. 
definitely not the best. There's a lot, a lot of misses. I don't even think X-Men 1 is that good, if I'm being honest. X2 I'm a big fan of. Shout out Brian Cox. Um, yeah, The Last Stand's Garbo. Wolverine Origins, I mean, about as bad as it gets, uh, just in general for any sort of type of media. And then past that, yeah, I did see, I, I did not see First Class in theaters. Um, so I guess technically this would be the first X-Men movie that I saw in theaters, which is cool. Uh, but I, I have seen Apocalypse and uh, Dark Phoenix, uh both in f- theaters as well, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I, that is kind of cool to to think like, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of this franchise, I feel like. And this was the first movie that I saw in theaters. I saved the first for for the best, I guess. So yeah, we'll, we'll take that. Let's uh, keep talking about this movie with our initial thoughts. Good morning, Vietnam! Um, so I, I kind of already began to say this, but it, this was a really weird place for this franchise to be. I think the reset of First Class is really successful. And that's actually my favorite X-Men movie. I think I've probably said that to you before said that on the podcast but i i like first class the best because i love the 60s feel that's always something that i enjoy in a movie i think it's become very overplayed at this point um but no i think i think the casting is really smart and it's just a really good reboot but without you know necessarily like starting over doing the exact same thing you know it's a new story um the cast of characters is fun and the dynamic between magneto and xavier is the best it is at any point in the series, in my opinion. This movie originally was supposed to be directed by Matthew Vaughn. He leaves and goes and does the Kingsman movie, which like I know you mentioned in our last podcast, you're a big fan of, I am as well. Oh, yeah. But then this movie, I think, suffers the fate of then being picked back up by Brian Singer, who of course directed the first two X-Men movies, but is notably a bad person. <laughs> oh yeah. Brian Singer, he's definitely you know coming up in my ugly. Not a good guy. And uh, it really sucks that he made some of these movies because I do enjoy them as a whole. I think this one especially was maybe made a little bit more, you know, conglomerately or, or collaboratively, whatever the word is, um, just because he was kind of a later entrance on it. But yeah, I mean, losing Matthew Vaughn was was massive at the time. I mean, the coming into the first class, I mean, it was pretty much it was a, it was a bit of a tonal shift, obviously a completely different cast. And he came in and just knocked it out of the park and everyone at a time when everybody really thought the X-Men franchise was dead, like he, he pretty much revitalized it from the grave. So to kind of, you know, kick him to the curb a little bit, obviously he wanted to do his own thing, which is what it came down to. But I mean, you got to dish out the big bucks, I would think for, for Matthew Vaughn at the time, at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I wanted to mention too, um, the sixties and obviously the sixties theme in, in first class and they co they come more into the seventies here with, you know, it, it being centered around, you know, mm-hmm. now and all that, all that crap. I really don't like how they continue decade hopping through every single movie. I think in this one, it works a little bit, obviously in first class, I think it really works. Like you said, sort of uh, centered around the Cuban missile crisis is just so much fun. And like integrating the X-Men with history, I think is a cool concept. And um, I think they do it good in here as well with, um, you know, Magneto was the one who, you know, killed JFK or supposedly was trying to save him, whoever you want to believe. I think that's a fun concept. But then like you go into Apocalypse and for some reason we're in the 80s and all these characters are the same age. Um, and then it just keeps continuing on and on and on. through Dark. And as they get closer and closer to where they're supposed to be, Patrick Stewart yeah. and Ian McKellen, it becomes uh, less and less convincing. <laughs> right. And in this movie, it's it kind of like you can kind of see it. Like Patrick Stewart, he looks like he's like 90s, 90 years old in this movie. And like James McAvoy, he's probably like 35 or something. So it's like, okay, maybe in like 50 years, this is the same person. 
but I mean, once we get to Dark Phoenix and and James McAvoy shaves his head, it's like, okay, that's that's not Patrick Stewart, so that doesn't make any sense because there's only like a five year difference between this and, and the first X Men movie. So continuity, just in general, is kind of thrown out, you know, past this movie a little bit in this movie too, which I will bring up later. I really love just kind of how they center the story around Wolverine, which some people may dislike just because Wolverine is kind of the center of all these movies. Um, but in the comics, basically, and the, the Days of Future Past story is also a, a super iconic one from the comics. And they kind of throw in a bunch of uh, characters in here who are important in that comic book storyline, but not really in this movie. Like Kitty Pride is actually the one who goes back in time in the original uh, comic. So they have her, you know, they just retcon some powers for her just so she can be in the movie, basically. And a couple other characters I'll mention later, too. But changing that to Wolverine, I think, is super smart. Just because it does make sense, like he can heal, you know, quicker than everybody else. And I mean, it's Hugh Jackman. How can you not have Hugh Jackman be like the center of the story and put like integrating him with that first class uh, cast? I think is a perfect fit. You kind of just need another muscle in there. And I mean, Hugh Jackman can fit in any cast, basically. But I think writing wise, that, that was definitely a slam dunk on on who to send back, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think they saw that half of a scene in, in first class, which they do reference yeah. in this movie, where <laughs> you're just like, man, I really do kind of wish, though, like these three, like all got to hang out for a little bit. So they said, fuck it, we'll give you a movie. We'll let we'll let Logan meet the young versions of these characters. And it is extremely successful. This movie does kind of... Uh, it really jumps around and moves around a ton. It's very cut up and chopped up. You mentioned it being definitely not just a Brian Singer vision. There's definitely a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a ton yeah. of different people that the stories by and the screenplay and the studio, I'm sure, had a lot of different hands in it. And it's honestly, for being as like decent and well-made, like it's a pretty decent movie. Like I like it. It's a good movie. It's impressive considering all of those facts and like knowing that there's like 17 minutes of the rogue cut as you said that's just like cut out of this movie. like they just were chopping stuff up they were reshooting stuff they were pushing this movie like all of these movies in the last 10 years have had pretty poor productions like in terms of the x-men franchise um this one's the start of it they kind of land the plane at the end of the day the other ones uh very much do not <laughs> in terms of the jumping around i did just want to point out like they're in Saigon, New York City, Paris, DC, Moscow. And then at one point, just China is the only, they're just in China above the Great Wall of China. Go, come on, seriously. Like, <laughs> didn't want to get too specific. We, we get every other location in this movie. Yeah, that is China. funny. I mean, and they, they do hop around a lot and it's fast paced. I mean, just even that first hour, I got to mention Quicksilver um, in my initial thoughts. How can we not? But I mean, he's in it for what, fifteen minutes, maybe nine. Pentagon scene, yeah. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit long, but I mean, they meet him for five minutes and then they break out Magneto in the you know the next scene, and I mean, probably by far, I would say he's he's the most beloved character in this film. Um, you know, just from a general audience standpoint, he's the standout. I mean, they pretty much do the exact same thing in Apocalypse in the next film. But I mean, just the song choice and and that <laughs> if one. If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and and they didn't to be fair but um i mean just the song choice you know time in a bottle is so perfect as well that scene visually is it's just unbelievable and i brought up age of ultron earlier too but i mean I, they were both basically making quicksilver movies at the same time not movies but you know movies with quicksilver in it 
and you know <laughs> age of ultron I, I wish i could see like the mcu producers faces when they saw this movie they're like oh shit like we have nothing that compares to this and aaron, aaron taylor johnson i i would like to see his reaction as well and then they got so scared they were like we can't even like imagine doing anything in the future so we're gonna make sure this dude yeah. is dead at the end of the movie <laughs> yeah they said fuck it like we'll never do anything better than that so we might as well just kill him off uh, while we have the chance but yeah i, I love that scene obviously and then a couple other just small moments i want to shout out quickly too we got an ice slide uh from Iceman. never seen that before in an x-men movie waited a long time to see that fucking dope uh the sentinels i, I don't know about their whole design i think it's okay kind of basing it around you know mystique's powers and they can you know sort of adapt to anything i think that's an interesting concept but i mean the the original sentinels obviously which we see uh built by the great and and young uh boulevard trask aka pete dinklage who needs to do more work like this um i'd rather see those in the future if i'm being honest just because these seem like almost unkillable which i guess is the point and then past that, my my other favorite moment I wanted to bring up too is is Magneto's uh, baseball stadium lift. I feel like this movie's kind of just centered around like five or six really really cool set pieces, and sometimes maybe it doesn't make the most sense uh, story wise. Makes no fucking sense at all. <laughs> I'm gonna get but, into it more later, but like yeah. beyond story, it doesn't really make sense. But we'll exactly go ahead. Kind of a, just eliminating story here, just like these visual moments or or things, just as like a a fan or a comic book fan of these characters is really cool. And it is really good fan service, I think done well. And then past that, just one last thing to talk about too. I don't know which duo I really like more out of uh, the professor X Magneto's uh, in this movie. I think Michael Fassbender is a ridiculously good actor. Um, and, and James McAvoy obviously has a lot to do in this movie too. Patrick Stewart and, and Ian McKellen are a little bit on the sidelines here. But I think they're equally as good. I mean, you can't tell me those guys aren't as good of actors, I think, is the the first duo. Well, it's um, crazy because, like, in 2000, you know, at the time that they're making X-Men, the other superhero movies that they've made are, like, Blade? Like, the superhero yeah. movies aren't a thing, right? And X-Men's, like, the first one, you know? And then you get Sam Raimi's Spider-Man right after. And it really jump starts the genre. But it's crazy to think that you get, like, two legendary English actors you know fucking gandalf you like you give, you bring these guys in to be magneto and professor x that's, that's pretty impressive that's a, like a crazy lightning in the bottle incredible moment they work extremely well on screen together and then you go and you do it again you get james mcavoy and michael fassbender who are two of our great actors working today who who honestly don't work enough honest uh in in more stuff and more interesting roles but it, it's just incredible what they did two times in a row just nailing that it, it's going to yeah. be hard for the mcu to even attempt oh, it. it's going to be impossible to replace um you know all of all four of those honestly it's it's impossible to recast that role in a sense but yeah, i agree i mean the cast in general of this movie too is it's pretty ridiculous it's it's almost you know limitless it has i don't even know like 25 30 people who are you know name brand actors so shout out to the casting director and i guess just you know the payroll as well for being the you know bring everybody back it's like that's kind of surprising in its own right well franchise um, stacking there they took the new and the old yeah. so that helps but they basically took all the big stars from the new and old and kind of ditched the rest which i guess is it's kind of a good move but yeah i'm obviously pretty high in this movie we'll get into a lot of stuff that i don't like as well 
but that's just initially what I wanted to, wanted to bring up. I wanted to just, I know we're initial thoughts, but I want to talk about the ending a little bit with you. Yeah. So, so often I hear when I'm listening to like stories about like MCU movies or like superhero movies or general, like big blockbuster movies that end in a large set piece, a big battle, a, a fight, a CGI monster fight. So often when I'm hearing about this, it's the director wanted to end it with, you know, something more philosophical, philosophical, a conversation, a, a meeting of the minds, a, a, you know, something that is more dramatically centered, but maybe wouldn't really work as well in a superhero film. The cool thing about this movie is it takes both of those ideas and does them at the same time. You get a big, large set piece superhero battle both in the future with the Sentinels and in the past with Magneto lifting the stadium and, you know, he's fighting Wolverine and all that stuff. But then you also have like a legitimate, like conversation, dramatic point between characters. You have, you have Charles Xavier having his moment with Mystique to try and convince her. And then you have the head to head between Magneto and Mystique and in that interaction and her shooting him. And like, it's just, it's able to, combine a large set piece with something that is so much more stripped down simple and it's just two characters like pointing a gun at each other battling their emotions all their history coming to a culmination and i think that's just like a really cool i mean it's, it's just really impressive that they were able to do both of those things and it's kind of the best of both worlds i mean i think writing wise this movie it has its, its strong points and it has its weak points but i think all the characters are, are fairly fleshed out i mean mystique is Again, pretty much in the centerpiece of the movie, along with Wolverine, in a sense, probably due to Jennifer Lawrence being, you know, playing Mystique. And they do change up her character, you know, a little bit from uh, the, the main trilogy and the, the first trilogy. But I, I agree completely. I mean, just breaking down those specific character moments where it's like, you know, you can kind of see where they're coming in from both sides. Obviously, Mystique's been, you know, dealing with Nam and, and then this whole wrench that's just thrown in of oh this guy's from the future and you know he's saying this is gonna happen like i mean if that happened in real life that's pretty hard to convince me of um and obviously hugh jackman he does that with you know um charles xavier by like kind of naming off a bunch of stuff but like they don't really do that with mystique so it's kind of like why would she believe these people at this point like uh charles sort of abandoned her eric definitely abandoned her um, it's definitely like interesting character wise where, where a lot of these people are. Yeah. I, I wish Jennifer Lawrence got a little bit more to do, but you know, also I I'm glad she didn't have to spend more time in the makeup chair, I guess. <laughs> Let's move over to our next category trailer talk. So many battles waged over the years and yet none of them like this. Are we destined to destroy each other? Or can we change who we are and unite? Is the future truly set, mutants? We now find ourselves on the edge of extinction. You'll need to go into the past to end this war before it ever begins. your power bring the x-men together it's going to take the two of us side by side at a time when we couldn't be further apart you took the things that mean the most to me 
maybe you should have fought harder for them. This trailer opens pretty similarly to the movie. It's got, you know, some Charles Xavier narration and it's showing you all the uh, visions of what the apocalyptic future looks like that the Sentinels have created. And then you get this, the great, the crossfade between the old and the new. You get the, the, the Ian McKellen to the Fastbender crossfade and the McAvoy to the pa Patrick Stewart crossfade to be like, hey, they're both in this movie, which is fantastic. Yeah, and this was the second trailer I, I believe they released too, but I handpicked this one because it's, it's uh, one of my favorites of all time. But yeah, for some reason, I, I freaking love this trailer. Just great music. Like you said, uh, Charles, Patrick Stewart's just a buttery voice throughout, you know, narration. I love that in a trailer too. And it surprisingly doesn't give away that much in, in the music too. Like, I think I said that already, but it kind of just gives off like a super dramatic tone, which is a little bit of a shift from like the earlier ones, which is a little bit more lighthearted and fun. But this one kind of just creates a sense of like epicness, I guess you could say, which I like. It's very cinematic. And yeah, it is. And it takes itself very, very seriously. So it makes sense that at my age, I was like, holy shit, like everything is going down. I don't know, it just made me unbelievably hype at the time. Um, in hindsight, it, it, you know, it's a trailer. It is what it is, but I think it's effective. It, it, it doesn't show any of the really cool moments, I don't think, other than maybe um, James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart coming face to face. But yeah, all in all, I did like the trailer. I think it's a decent representation of the movie. No, no real uh, misrepresentation, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's just one of my personal favorites. I, I think um, in YouTube, I, I put it on my favorites list like 10 years ago. <laughs> so it's still sitting at the bottom of that. But yeah. It is a pretty good trailer. It definitely gets you hyped, gets you excited for the movie. Uh, it does feature the the wonderful From Brian Singer the director of X-Men and X2, which I think is funny because it's like in this trailer, we're going to remind you that this is not the guy who directed the last stand. Like he directed the first two X-Men movies. So don't <laughs> worry. Like this is not Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. It's, it's Brian Singer. Um, and then I think it's cool. There's no Quicksilver in this trailer, which I, I actually really love because yeah. that's something that you want to save for the movie. There's there's yeah. so little of it. Save it all for the movie. And I think they did release like a couple promo promotional posters for some of the new characters, like Quicksilver and Toad. And there was a lot of backlash because everyone was like, "These costumes look terrible." Like we haven't even seen any footage of this either. And to be fair, like Toad doesn't look the best. Even because well, neither of them are really in costumes, right? They're just like like Quicksilver's wear. I mean, yeah, I don't know why he's wearing that gold silver yeah. jacket. It's not very exactly. But like, like he, he kind of looks dumb, I feel like in his hair. I don't really like his hair either, but I mean, it, it, it works in the movie. That, that, that's what matters for sure. Yeah. Let's move over to the good, the bad and the ugly. I, I mentioned that the trailer opens similar to the opening of the movie. I enjoy the opening of this movie outside of the weird, like Sam Raimi Spider-Man-esque uh, title sequence that we get. Uh, that's yeah. a little strange, especially in a 2014 movie feels very dated, but the actual opening, you know, Patrick Stewart's buttery voice, as you describe it, laying out the world, explaining the Sentinels. I mean, listen, if you're going to have to listen to some, you know, like three minutes of exposition, let's make it, you know, Patrick Stewart, <laughs> you know? Um, but no, it, I think that's very cool. And then we get that first fight, which really shows off kind of 
listen, these aren't even the X-Men that we're really going to care about or interact with throughout the movie, but we're just going to show you a cool set piece and some cool, you know, mutant powers to get things started. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting group. You got Sunspot, Colossus, Kitty Pride, Iceman, Blink, and Bishop. But then it it's also setting up just the idea of time travel, which is really important. So it sets that up right away. And um, yeah, I, I enjoy the opening. What do you think? Yeah. I really enjoy the opening as well. And I think you missed the mutant. It's the weird guy with the blade. I don't even know his name. He, he sucks. Uh, I forget it. But he's there too for some reason. Um, but I completely agree. The opening action scene was definitely on my good list. Um, I think showing off kind of the diversity of the powers is super dope. Sunspot looks amazing. Iceman, which I mentioned earlier, is just one of my personal favorite characters. And this is prime Iceman in this movie, uh, by far the best we've ever seen um, from his character. Um, and yeah, Bishop is unbelievably underutilized. He's one of the ones I was mentioning earlier who uh, has a big part in the comic book storyline. And I think he's just in this movie because of that. But again, he doesn't really do much. And Blink, Blink visually is so dope too. And another thing I like about those smaller characters is they cast a lot of unknowns, but a lot of just like super culturally appropriate which you don't see a lot. Like for Sunspot, they cast, um, I believe it was a Spanish actor or a Mexican actor, one of those two. Blink was like um, a Chinese actor who does not work that much. Oh, and uh, Bishop, he, he's working more. I forget what he's in recently, but he he was uh, not, not working too much either. So I like that. Like they went for more unknowns who were kind of culturally appropriate, which again, I feel like we never really hear that. So shout out to the X-Men movies for, for being cool even though it is directed by Brian Singer. But yeah. Omar Sy, he was, uh, of course, in uh, Jurassic World. <laughs> yes, he's the he's the guy in Jurassic World. That's what it was. And he, he, was in, he was in Dominion as well, so. They had to bring him back because he was dope. But yeah, past that, some other good things I, I wanted to mention. Well, a couple we already talked about already. Magneto killing JFK, I think, is really fun. Peter Dinklage is dope. Wish he had a lot more screen time. Although, re- on the rewatch, I, he does do a lot. I mean, the Dink Man, he's featured pretty heavily, I feel like, here. But I wish he was in it more still. And then past that, I kind of just like the theme in general of like, is your future truly set? Obviously, we've seen tons and tons of time travel movies and everybody explains it their own way. But I, I like the way this movie goes about it, you know, never losing hope, sort of that combo that the two Charles Xavier have is super poetic. And that's a great scene. Back, yeah. And it even comes back uh, with James McAvoy, some of his dialogue later on in the film. When he's talking to Beast about, you know, oh, possibly, you know, the future set. Maybe we can't change it. And it's like, you know, I I refuse to believe that at this point. You always got to, you know, have hope or whatever the quote is from from Patrick Stewart. But I just really like that theme. And, you know, a lot of other, you know, like Back to the Future movies, it, it can get, you know, I think a little bit too complicated. They keep it fairly simple here. Where if you do change the you know the future, it kind of just like an instant blink to to the new existence, which I kind of like, but at the same time, really does not make any sort of you know sense. But I, for a movie, I think that keeps it simple enough for the audience to to stay engaged. I think the uh, the time travel stuff is pretty well handled. I, I agree with you. You know, thinking of it's been done in so many movies, like you said, you know, the in game rules don't really make any sense um, either. I think these ones. The way it's laid out is, you know, pretty successful. When you really start to like think about it, it defeats the narrative tension of like whether or not they're going to die, like the future versions of themselves when the Sentinels are coming and like the idea of those things happening simultaneously. Obviously, they're not 
actually because that's not how time travel like you know it's just like it's editing right they put the two scenes together and it's like oh wow the sense of oh wait he wakes up and then now they're all gone like doesn't really make a lot of sense but um yeah regardless um those scenes look cool because the vfx is so great though and i I think this might have the the best vfx of any x-men movie yeah i would 100 percent put it up there i mean i don't know if there's either this is probably the biggest budget of any x-men movie i would guess uh especially with the sentinels uh sort of being the main antagonists maybe apocalypse they do a lot of weird shit in that movie and it was coming off the success of this one too so it kind of makes sense but yeah and then i mean we were talking about the cast as well and i did want to shout out a couple other people we mentioned jennifer lawrence um I think, you know, I think she is a little bit underrated in this movie. Maybe she doesn't have that much screen time that, uh, than I previously thought. But, I mean, she chokes a guy out with her foot. So that's <laughs> completely badass. It's a very mystique <laughs> move. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But, yeah, past that, too. I mean, I, I, we were talking about Hugh Jackman in the opening, but I think he deserves another shout-out. Like I said, sort of those two being the centerpiece, it really does work because – I mean, low key, other than, you know, the Xavier's and um, the Magneto's, those are the best two actors, I think, in this movie, J-Law and Hugh Jackman. So to have them sort of carry the dialogue at times, I think is super smart, too. But yeah, uh, I've kind of already mentioned everything already. I just really like this movie, but shout out, shout out the cast. Cast, I think, is unbelievably underrated. Maybe, you know, I would argue possibly this is one of the best casts of all time in any movie ensemble wise ensemble wise obviously not performance performance but the the number of of people in this movie who are good is ridiculous i would say it might be one of the most well cast movies and in putting in actors who are capable of doing the roles ensemble wise yeah yeah but in terms of just like pure performance hitters i I don't know i don't think i agree um but the cast is really great and i want to talk about michael fassbender a little bit because you know we've missed him for a few years and it's it's so great to see him in a movie like this but i just want to just give him a shout out for a couple things that uh, are going to be coming up coming out this year the last movie that he was in in 2019 was x-men dark phoenix um and he has not appeared in a film since then He's got The Killer, which is David Fincher's next feature film following Mank, um, returning more to like a darker murder mystery with Michael Fassbender in the lead role. Very excited for that. Probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year beyond like Barbie and Oppenheimer. And then um, Next Goal Wins, which is Taika Waititi's next project. This one's been done for, I think, like over a year, year and a half at this point, been sitting on a shelf. So I'm a little Hmm. unsure about it, but looking forward to to seeing that come out it's uh, like a soccer movie that has fastbender in the lead as well so he could have you know pretty t- two decent movies coming out this year and then i think i also just saw as well that he was like reported to be cast in the 130 million dollar nancy myers project that netflix is going to be funding which Michael Fassbender and a Nancy Myers rom-com. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I could get behind that as well. So uh, excited to see him back. Yeah. That's weird. He hasn't really done anything. I believe uh, he was uh, like racing cars <laughs> in his time off. Oh, fair enough. Hey, you know, uh, at least that's a good hobby, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do miss him in movies. I think he's one of the, like we mentioned earlier. I mean, I think he's one of the better actors working today, just in general. Um, so give me in, put him in the dramas, put him in the mysteries, put him in the rom-coms. I'll watch him in pretty much anything. Um, but yeah, I think he is really good in this movie too. Uh, it really is a testament to how good a few of these people are just actor-wise. 
because they take i mean i don't know if it's the best script but they make it really really like serious and and uh yeah fastbender i think is the the leading man on that for sure love him in inglorious bastards got a shout out that's probably my favorite performance of his and he's only in it for like maybe 10 minutes yes so michael fastbender uh as you know the movie ford versus ferrari uh christian bale's character races in uh the le mans you know the 24 hour like all day race yeah, Fastbender did that last year in 2022. So uh yeah, that's what he's been up to. <laughs> Shout out to him. That's pretty cool. I, I would have never guessed that in a million years. All right, let's talk bad, Cody. Uh some of my bad. I actually have a decent amount here. And it does I did want to bring up something off the top too that you were talking about in the good. I don't really like starting a movie off with dialogue. I think it's unbelievably lazy. Uh you are right, it does make it a lot better uh with the buttery voice of Patrick Stewart. The thing is my in defense of it mm. they have a lot to set up they have a lot to lay out audiences yeah. are already going to be confused because you've got two different actors playing different like you they're like do you remember what happened at the end of x-men the last stand cody because this movie clearly oh. doesn't <laughs> um everybody dies except yeah. for logan so just even that fact like if you came into this movie having that been the last X-Men movie you saw and then like Xavier's like, I don't know, you got to kind of just be like, hey, it's the future. I'm a lot like, uh, you know, yeah, I agree completely. And that kind of does lead into my next point, too. There's no continuity at all with these X-Men movies. So why even care? Um, and clearly they don't. But they do have that exposition dump at the beginning, I guess, just kind of set everything kind of clear, but not really. So just run through a couple of them. Uh, first off, I mean, Patrick Stewart uh, directly is talking about how he knew Mystique as a child. Fucking bullshit. You didn't say <laughs> one word about that for, you know, three movies. So I don't that's definitely that. a, a first class retcon. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that, I think that's the worst retcon. And to give Patrick Stewart dialogue about that honestly just pisses me off because you're just trying to. You know, they even speak to each other over the course of that trilogy. Maybe once. Maybe, well, maybe not, honestly. That's a good question. We, I, I might have to do some digging on that, but I don't, I can't think of any scene off the top of my head, I'm being completely honest. Um, past that, I mean, a young toad in the 70s makes no sense since we saw, I mean, that toad in, in uh, 2000s X-Men wasn't like 50 years old. So that's that's Garbo. And then Wolverine, his, his claws is kind of a question mark too. Because I mean, at the end of the Wolverine, I thought they were gone, right? Uh, I haven't seen that movie for a little bit. But then in this movie, uh, in the future, uh, when he's slashing around, he, he like uh, gets Kitty Pride or whatever, but he's got adamantium claws again. So I don't know how that happened, not explained. And then um, a couple more. <laughs> There's too many here. But Beast's powers, I guess it works like the Hulk now. But <laughs> that was, I mean, in first class, it was just, he was Beast now. There was no sort of, this in-between bullshit that we figured well, out like we did like we do know that he develops the serum because he's working on that in first class but it's definitely <laughs> like in the case of xavier like you take the serum your powers stop working so then that's why he can walk it shouldn't be if if nicholas holt is taking the serum he should just not be able to turn into beast at all like you said doesn't make any sense yep and they explain it through some throwaway lines, but uh, it's boring. So I don't go too much more into it. And, and on then, top of that, his acting is fucking awful too. So that's even even worse. Well, that's just Nicholas Holt in every movie. But uh, my other big one too that I don't understand is uh, Stryker. I, um, his involvement in this film, I'm kind of confused on because he's pretty much not used at all. 
other than to just give uh, Wolverine Brian Cox flashbacks, which I do enjoy. Um, Third different actor to play Striker over the course of the X-Men franchise. (laughs) True. Yeah, for some reason, they they keep changing it up. But kind of the ending, too, just jumping all the way to the end. uh, Mystique, for some reason, has some interest in Wolverine, even though I don't know if they talk the entire movie. Um, And she's pretending to be Striker. That's unbelievably confusing, and it's not touched on again for the rest of the movies. So no idea why that was put in. Yeah, continuity as a whole, pretty much thrown out the window, which, I mean, it's an X-Men movie. They do that every movie, so that's fine, but I just don't understand it. Yeah, the Mystique thing has always confused me because it's like they set it up at first. It's like, oh, yeah, Stryker's fishing him out, so this is going to explain, like, He's just going to end up with Stryker earlier, and that's how he's going to end up with Adamantium. So the future still kind of turns out similarly. Yeah. But then it's Mystique, and you're like, okay, so in this future that he wakes up in, does he ever interact with Stryker? Like, does he have Adamantium calls? It's not addressed, and then maybe it'll come up in somebody's post credit scene. I don't know. Um, we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, I do have some more bad I want to touch on, too. And you mentioned this already, too, but um, the weird CGI opening. It's a thing they they kind of do with all the x-men movies but it's just bad and, and not necessary i think it's a thing that what's his face idiot um brian singer wanted to bring back uh because that's something they did with the the first you it's know the dna play. flying around Ooh. cgi dna so cool yeah it's not that cool um but past that too um i think this movie and this was the first time I noticed this as well on whatever watch this was for me. But I think it relies a little bit too much on like flashbacks. I mean, there's countless of just like, oh, quick visions of things that have happened in the past movies. And I'm like, I You're... don't really care. Like I saw those movies, but this isn't necessary information if I haven't. Uh, just to name a couple. James McAvoy sees that Gene Gray's death. I honestly don't know why that one's in it. That one's pretty, pretty dumb. Um, they flashback as well at the beginning with James McAvoy and uh, Mystique when they were kids. That first scene, basically from first class, again, don't really need it. You could just say, "Oh, like, oh, we grew up together," which I say like ten times. Oh, and, and of course the Brian Cox flashbacks. That is the one flashback I do like of Wolverine kind of having a seizure and seeing Brian Cox's face just flash in his eyes a couple times. I think that's fun, um, and I think they do it a couple other times too. But I lost count. But yeah, I, I just think that's kind of relied on a little bit too much. And again, with the dialogue at the beginning, just a little bit lazy for my liking. But yeah. Yeah, that's fair. This movie, like I, I talked about, the, the the production was a little bit all over the place. I do want to talk about the the Anna Paquin removal from this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you watch the Rogue Cut? I mean, I know you said you had it, but. Yeah, I did not watch it. I have seen it before and. It really doesn't add anything. It's just an extra like 15 minutes of Kitty Pride being injured and then Rogue comes in and, and steals her powers, of course, like she, you know, she does. And then she's just doing the time traveling at the end. Um, but I think it's funny to mention that like she's she's still billed pretty highly uh, in the credits at the end of this movie. Well, OK, so that leads me. I wanted yeah. to talk about the billing as a whole. So I let's run <laughs> through the list, OK, because uh, this is I, I think this is something recently I've become more and more interested in. But like for a movie like this, it's so crazy because it, you got to think, like, how do you do the billing? It's like, you know, you it's have hard. large prominent actors, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart. Um, you've got your returning people from the original franchise, specifically Halle Berry. So obviously lead billing, first build. It's going to be Hugh Jackman. He's always been the center of all these movies. He's your main character. He's 
existing both in the past and the present. Then you go James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender next, okay, Magneto in the past. Jennifer Lawrence, you know, four, that seems kind of high, but it's because it's Jennifer Lawrence, right? She's, I don't think she has fourth billing role in this movie, despite being a focal point of the story. Her character doesn't have as much to do, especially because Jennifer Lawrence isn't doing a lot of the acting. She's playing other people in a lot of scenes. After that, uh, though, is Halle Berry, which is crazy at five. It's just because it's Halle Berry. I think she says three lines of dialogue in this movie. Yeah, I, I don't even know if it's that many. It It's nothing. It's pretty much just, oh, let's fight. And then, oh, she gets, you know, sliced in the heart pretty quick. She does so. do a lot of hand movements and, you know, like fighting type stuff. I, I think that was probably, you know, one or two shots on set. But she does say, she says, no, but we can slow them down. Yeah. And then <laughs> then she says, is everybody okay? To which she then gets stabbed through the chest. And you think, okay, that's probably it. And then she does have one more, like, kind of like off-screen line when Logan wakes up at the end of the movie and she's like telling some kid like, good job, really good job. And that's literally all she says in this movie. I think she's like, oh, it's something about a test. She's like, oh, you're going to do good on the test or good job on the test or something. Yeah, yeah. terrible. Um, fifth build. Sixth build, Nicholas Hull. So, uh, you know, that that you know that kind of makes it. He's, bit, he's in a lot of the movie. He kind of has to be, right? Seventh, this is the crazy one. Anna Paquin. Who do, she does appear in the, this cut of the movie. She's in one shot when, again, at the end of the school, but she's seventh build. Obviously, she was, you know, she was paid for her 17 minutes. You know, people, I, I, I saw someone talking to her, like, after they did the, there was, like, the whole campaign of give us the, you know, road cut, whatever, and they released it on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Someone, I talked to her about it, like, asked her on a podcast, and she was like, yeah, honestly, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter that I was cut from the movie. Like, if she got her bag, and she got out, you know, seventh yeah. build. Hey, respect to her. I mean... If I was in the situation, I feel like I wouldn't care either because, I mean, she brings nothing to the story. So it makes sense that you would cut that out. But it's it's a cool little Easter egg, like for the DVD too. Like uh, you always want a director's cut, I guess. People are always pining for for longer cuts in these superhero movies for some reason. Uh, maybe this was around the near uh, of the start of that. I guess you know, this era as a whole, the mid 2010s, I would say. Yeah. It's kind of the elite time for a director superhero for, cut. For fans being bitchy whiny. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, seventh billing, you know, she she got paid good amount for that, I would think. So yeah, how can you be mad? You can't. Well, and it's even crazier because juxtaposed directly next to Elliot Page, who obviously credited under their dead name, but like putting Anna Paquin above Elliot Page in this scenario when it's Elliot Page who's there in the movie doing the shit the whole time and didn't get cut. It's so funny having those two back to back. Yeah. I And when I was going through the credits, that's the standout too. Cause it's like these characters in the road cut, at least have like similar roles, I guess. So it makes sense to put them together. But to have Anna Paquin before uh, Elliot Page. This is post-inception to Elliot Page. You're telling me. <laughs> True. I mean, Juno, like, no, they were, in, they were in tons of stuff. So it doesn't make any sense. But I, I do think that's just funny how the, how the billing came out. And, and it's all money-wise, obviously, how it's based off of. But and yeah, then, it, it makes sense. And then next, Peter Dinklage coming in hot. I mean, you know, he wasn't as big then. You know, we're still Game of Thrones isn't quite there yet. But then after Peter Dinklage, we get Sean Ashmore, who oh, I did want to talk about for a second. You know, we haven't got to talk about him on The Boys, Cody. Uh, what do you think about his uh, little short little performance there? Yeah, I think it's fun because it's it's almost a direct opposite. It's it's Lamplighter. Uh, he's basically Pyro in, in The Boys compared to his Iceman in, in the X-Men movies. 
Yeah, I, I think he's good in that. I mean, I don't know if he's the best actor ever. He's more of probably a, a television guy, I would say. But yeah, he's got no lines in here. He just gets to slide around on ice for a little bit. So how can you really be bad doing that? Brother Aaron Ashmore, also a uh, actor as well, who's in a bunch of different stuff. So mm, there you go. Nice. Shout out him. Then after that, Omar Sy gets his own card. And then there's a three card. Evan Peters is on one of the three cards. There's another three card. And then finally, interestingly, credited together on the same card and yeah. Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart. So it's kind of, you don't, I don't know how often you ever see that in a double and. And kind of nothing in between either. It's like Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. Like it's not even and Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. It's know, very is- clearly they are billed at the same level. Neither one is first. It is not Pat and it is and both of them together they probably they probably have the same agent that's honestly probably what it it's is. just it was definitely a negotiating point for sure it's the queen it's the queen of england because i think they're both knighted aren't they um <laughs> like, <laughs> she she made sure they were both in you've talked a lot about how you enjoyed the quicksilver fight and i do really think it's great this movie mm. and not in a good way is rather bleak there's not a lot of fun happening throughout you know for what you would think would be a really fun story with some fun characters like Fucking James McAvoy's putting on a sad face every other scene. Nicholas Holt's trying his best. He's not doing it. But, you know, this is a movie about, you know, trying to kill the president. And, like, it's just not necessarily a fun romp, right? And for nine minutes, Evan Peters comes into this movie and is just the most fun character ever. Like, first of all, it's they're basically doing, like, a bank heist or a breakout heist. Um, but this isn't a heist movie, so they're not going to give us like the shoe leather of like all the planning stages. It's just going to be, hey, you know, Magneto, he is under the Pentagon. We need a fast guy. Let's do it. You know, there's a great introduction scene where they kind of convince him to do it. But then they go straight into it and they just do the heist. There's no explaining it. You're going to understand what's happening as it's happening and you get to live through it. It's so great. The reason I'm talking about it in the bad is because it is the peak of the movie for me, 100%. And for the next 80 minutes after that, you're just kind of wishing that you would ever get to that high again, and you never do. So I think for me, that is like the, my main complaint with this movie is it just peaks way too early. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I think that is my favorite scene in the movie, but it kind of just has nothing to do with the story. So I feel like, I mean, if you have that at the end, it's kind of like, oh, like, who's this Quicksilver guy? I don't know anything about him. And it has nothing to do with the time travel either. So I understand where you're coming from, but I think it's placed perfectly. It's it's almost like at that hour midpoint, it is a complete, a little bit of a tonal shift from the rest of the film. Uh, like you said, I mean, that first scene with Quicksilver, he just, uh, he's that quippy MCU, like you would think he's an MCU character based off kind of the quippiness of him. Um, and I love it. Evan Peters, shout out to him as well. I forgot to, to call out him for great performance too, but yeah, I, I think it's placed well in the movie just because it's not really what the movie's about, but it is still a scene, I think. He probably would have been helpful there in the end. I mean, I know he's got to get back to his mom, but oh, he yeah. could probably run back home, you know? Oh, that's by far the biggest flaw, I think, in any movie that this Quicksilver appears in. Like, he could solve it's every single you, problem. It's why you can't have him in the whole movie, because he's yeah. just too overpowered. Yeah, true. And, unless you're Apocalypse, and then you can just, you know, fucking grab him or whatever. Yeah, whatever he did, I... He, he can go as fast as Quicksilver for some reason, you know, not explained, but he, he can also cut guys' heads off with sand, but he never does that again after that either. So <laughs> he's just got one-off powers. It, it's weird. Let's talk ugly and uh, the uh, very fat, big elephant in the room, Bryant Singer. Cody, what do you want to say about him? I don't have a ton. I, I think um, 
no, you know, he's not a good guy. Pretty much disgusting human being. Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. I'm just not a fan of him. And it really sucks, like I said, that he's even attached to this film. Um, obviously, he's directed a bunch of stuff, but yeah, one of Hollywood's worst, I would say, by far. Yeah, I mean, he's been accused multiple times by multiple different people over the years, dating back to 1997 at the earliest, where a 14-year-old child said that a 14-year-old like extra on a film was said that Brian Singer was like trying to film him in the shower for for no reason, right? Um, and then, you know, even more recently, 2014, when this movie was released, there was a case against him. 2019, there was a group of four people that came out and, you know, he's continued to deny these allegations. Uh, in, in 2019, he just said that the reporters who put those reports out were just homophobic for publishing it. So, um, you know, just all around bad guy. And he obviously is going the, the Kevin Spacey route of, you know, just blaming everybody else, but himself. Yeah. That's what I was going to say as well. It's kind of like a combo of little Weinstein, little Kevin Spacey, um, which is not who you want to get compared to. So yeah, not a good guy. Past that too, I did want to bring up um, an ugly and I could be wrong here, but I don't think this movie passes the Bechtel test. Um, even though there are a decent amount of female characters and uh, some important female characters as well, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, and Jennifer Lawrence is, I mean, Mystique, obviously, is, is kind of just centered around this relationship between Charles and, and Eric. And I feel like that does kind of define her character of, oh, who is she, you know, who's controlling her, I guess. Is it Eric or is it Charles right now? I, th- I don't think that's handled the best either script-wise. It's also um, tough because she's like a man for half the movie. So it's not even, you know, most of the conversations she like she does as Peter Dinklage talk to the assistant. So if you want to count it like that, but I don't think that counts. That's actually really interesting. <laughs> We're gonna I think when go you're grasping it. at those straws, I think it's fair to say it's a fail. Yeah. So I guess technically, if you count that, it, it would, but I don't think we can. Um, yeah, it, it is wild that, I mean, somehow this movie doesn't pass the back to test with all of those female characters maybe does Halle Berry say anything to Kitty Pride or Blink maybe like yeah, maybe, <laughs> Halle maybe Berry Blink. talks in the direction of these characters and yeah, I just you know it's not but still yeah still I, I would not pass it which I think is weird for, for a movie with with this size of cast yeah yeah definitely let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back with whose line is it anyway welcome to who I'm going to get started with the first quote that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Cody, you have to guess who it's from. You abandoned me. You took her away from me and abandoned me. <laughs> uh, I believe that is uh, James McAvoy's Charles Xavier. It is. You know, it. You abandoned me. You took her away and you abandoned me. You might confuse it. It's very similar to what Daniel Day-Lewis does in uh, yeah. There Will Be Blood, but it is not Abandon My Child. <laughs> this is James McAvoy's work. I've abandoned my child. <laughs> I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. That's a that's a classic TikTok line. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, good one to start off there. I'll start off with an easy one. I got an easy one and a hard one, I think. Uh, but my first one is, what'd you do? What'd you do, man? What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do, man? What'd you do? Uh, it's Quicksilver that says it <laughs> because he's jumping. He's, he's jumping around the room. What'd you do? What'd you do? Must have done something pretty serious. What'd you do, man? What'd you do? What'd you do? Why they have you in there for killing the president? Yeah, great. And uh, 
that was terrible delivery for me, but that's my favorite Evan Peters line. Um, like I said, that quippiness, him just saying the same line over and over again. Um, and he does it brilliantly. So shout out Evan. Nice. All right. My next one for you here. Uh, it does feature a name, so that might be a clue. Please, Charles, we need you to hope again. Oh, that's that's Patrick Stewart talking to himself. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> I thought I could trick you there with the, the Charles talking to Charles, but you saw right <laughs> through it. Oh no! Come on, this this is one of my favorites, dude. You can name any line in the movie. I bet I can name it off. Really, but, uh, I, I said it earlier, but probably probably my favorite scene in the movie. Just, I yeah. mean, two great actors playing the same character, working together. Finally, it's awesome. Hundred percent, and that's the only real crossover we get from uh, past to present. I mean, other than Wolverine, obviously, but yeah, that that's one of my favorites as well. Um, my second line. This is a tough one. Uh, I want to say it off the bat. Um, but the line is hold it right there. <laughs> hold it right there. Sounds like a deep cut. Um yeah. is it is it in Nam? Does it does it happen in Nam? It does not happen in Nam. It, it happens in Washington, DC. I mean, is it a secret service guy or just like striker? I I'm <laughs> I don't know. I'm it's lost. Good guess. Uh it's just a, a random security guard um in the Pentagon. Uh, basically the scene is where they've just freed eric and they're in the kitchen mm. over and then a, just some terrible actor security guard comes in and he goes hold it right there hold it right there and i literally bust out laughing um when he said that when i watched it this time so uh had to bring him up didn't even go to imdb to look up the actor's name because i'm sure he's never worked again uh yeah. uncredited security <laughs> guard <laughs> That's honestly probably what he's listening to. That's a great uh, one. Great scene. Again, we brought it I'm up many times. Let's move into invite, fight, night. I dump thee. Sir William. Invite on the pod is the first one. Cody, who do you want to have on the podcast? Yeah, this was a tough one. I think you go on a lot of different ways. Just, you know, great, great actors, great characters. I went for a little bit of an off-kilter one i think i want to invite striker on the podcast again a little bit underutilized i think and i do want to you know bring back a certain striker and uh, not the one we see in this movie the one we see in flashbacks brian cox himself uh, not danny <laughs> houston have, yeah i would love to have him on the pod um just you know talk a little succession talk a little bit x2 but yeah those weapon x flashbacks are always interesting and um I want the Brian Cox version on, not not the, the crappy one we got here. So shout out Stryker. Yeah, you're just trying to get all those succession season four uh secrets early, but all he's gonna tell you is is about how he tried to say uh, <laughs> he didn't want to fall into cancel culture. Yeah, true. Well, that entire cast I would love to have on in general, just because they're all pretty much psychos. I mean, but, any uh, anytime any person talks to them, they end up with some sort of quote that they can use as a headline. <laughs> so I'm sure we'd get a good title out of it nonetheless. Yeah. It'd be good content for sure. I would like to uh, invite young Toad just to to get some good tongue content on the podcast. Maybe <laughs> do some ASMR. Um, but in terms of somebody that I actually want to have a conversation with, I think it is Mystique. I think, I mean, we, you know, we don't necessarily do this, but we could have a little bit of a therapy podcast. We could really get into the weeds of things. We could, you know, discuss the the struggles that she's begin, been through and, you know, the, the, the troubles of being a mutant. I, I think her story is the most interesting of these characters. And um She's the one who's been betrayed so many times. And maybe we could, uh, you know, talk to her, work through some stuff. Yeah, I like that a lot. Just because 
I mean, we there is a lot of mystique in this movie, but I feel like there's not a ton of her, you know, motives or her perspective on a lot of stuff. It's kind of like the other characters just reacting to what her doing, uh, to what she's doing. Excuse me. We don't really understand, you know, fully why she's doing some things. So I think that'd be a good pick. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's what I was thinking. Uh, let's move over to fight, Cody. Um, funny enough, you said you wanted to bring him. Uh, you wanted to bring him on the podcast, but I want to fight Striker. Now it's it's not Brian Cox though. It's it's this Striker. Um, obviously, I mean he's just an all around bad guy. He's a, he's an evil guy from the start. He sees those bony claws and he's already getting ideas, and, and that's just not good. This movie was kind of tough to choose somebody to fight. Striker was kind of just like the best choice that I could come up with. I don't I don't want to beat up Peter Dinklage. That dude's too cool. Um, I thought as another option is like Nixon because like nobody really likes Richard Nixon. So I could, I'm not going to get in hot water for saying that, right? Like I'll fight Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, I think the ma- the vast majority of people would, would join you in that fight. Old Tricky Dick. Uh, yeah, old Tricky Dick. Shout out Tricky Dick. But yeah, those, those are both good picks, I would say. My pick is going to be the weird knife guy um, in the future. What the hell is his name, dude? Why can I not think of it? But uh, basically, I mean, he, he doesn't really have any powers. He just got some cool makeup and a really big knife. Um, but supposedly, I, I think Warpath. Yeah, that's what it is. So I think his powers relate to he can hear things from a long distance. So when the Sentinels drop, I guess he's a good guy to have. So you're never going to get caught off guard. But still, I mean, he basically just jumps on top of them and, and tries to slice them, which never works. Um, and then even in the end scene, he gets taken out because he's on top of one. And the Sentinel just leans him over in front of his head and like evaporates him. So, yeah, that guy, I, I think I could take him, honestly, because he doesn't really have any powers and he just got a, a massive knife. So pretty much useless. Did you take him as his uh, wolf self from the uh, Twilight series? Yeah, I was going to shout him out as well as being a bit of an unknown actor, but he wasn't in, in Twilight, so you can't really say that. But, uh, but he does yeah. he does fit into your thing. I mean, he is like a native actor. So like that is, you know, yeah. again, something fitting into, you know, getting some representation, which is great. Yeah. At least culturally appropriate. But I mean, if if I was cast in an X-Men movie and I had these powers, I'd be like, I- I'm not showing up. Like, at least give me something cool visually to do because everybody else has a really cool visual power. Like, all oh, these people have survived forever in the apocalypse because they have, like, really good powers, except for this guy. So I- I'm just going to put him out of his misery, basically. I, I do remember when Mina and I were watching the movie, now that you mention it, she, she like, turned to me and she was like, what are this, this guy's powers? And I was like, I don't know. He's just like a guy, like you know. He's 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 got. And then she like looked it up, and she's like, "Oh yeah, like you know, he's got he's super strength, like good reflexes. <laughs> you know, he, he can regenerate some stuff. Like sometimes, you know, it's just like he's like he's a guy, like he's a superpowered guy. You know, very basic. Yeah. So so I I do it. I back that, Cody. Appreciate it. Who do you want to night, So this is where I wanted to come back to the baseball stadium, and I wanted to night our uh, good groundskeeper friend, the man who's just, he's trying to chalk the lines and he's eyeballing it. This guy is a professional. There's no string. There's no nothing. There's no, this man is on the line doing it purely by eye. Uh, This is Robert F. Kennedy stadium that they lift up. Um, Funnily enough, I don't know what game he's uh, chalking the lines up for because no professional team was playing in DC at the time. Team left in 71 and went to Texas to become the Rangers course the expos did not come and become the montreal uh, or didn't become the uh, nationals until uh like 2005 right and i think it was the senators uh who were originally in washington and then moved to texas right yeah so was that their original stadium then but yeah it was. maybe 
yeah, I, I don't know who would have been playing games there. Maybe they were like lower league teams or something. But yeah, that is a good point. I didn't think of, but shout out to that guy. He, he's got a, a couple good lines and just a look on his face too. Of, like, who the fuck is this guy? Can I help he, you? I just lips the stadium, which is awesome. But that's a great pick. Uh, my pick, I just want to shout out three characters who um, should have a bigger role or just should not be in the movie, I think. First off, I mentioned him up top, Bishop, uh, just a badass and um, pretty much just completely wasted. Um, secondly is a returning character as well. It, it's Havoc, who um, I believe is Alex Summers, and um, he actually returns for Apocalypse and is killed off in 10 seconds. So uh, the key to him, I think, is you know just having him in the movie for as, at least amount of time as possible. He's a lot of fun in first class, though, and his one scene here, he, he does nothing. He just escapes Vietnam. Uh, but I wish he was in the movie more, because if he would have like stayed in Nam with Mystique, I think he could have been in the entire movie, and I think that would have been a lot more interesting. Um, well, last... I don't even really understand. That like scene just like, doesn't really make sense, because we're just kind of like thrown, like, these, these guys are just all serving, and then they got stuck together because people found out they were mutants, and then they're sending them home. They were shipping them not really home. They were shipping them to to Trask and uh, you know Striker to kill them basically. But yeah, I mean that that scene's pretty much just fan service. I feel like bringing back Toad. I don't know who really wanted that. I guess, but Havoc has a cool cameo. I guess for first class fans, and then another person there who I don't even know if you know who this is. Um, I don't even know if this is technically technically canon because on uh, Letterbox it didn't have a specific name for the character. But uh, the guy's name is Spike, um, the mutant's name. And um, basically, he's in the TV show X-Men Evolution, from sure nobody has seen. But uh, yeah, he's just wasted entirely in this movie. And it really sucks because that's a really fun character. And then, well, that was it, actually. Spike, shout out Spike. Again, don't know the actor's name. Don't even know if that was actual the character because he has no lines. Um, and also, he has, like, his eyes, he's, like, they turn black, which... It's not really canon for his powers, I believe, but I'm here for it. You know, you can change stuff in the movies all the time. But um, there are a lot of just super small mutants in this movie that I, I think either have them in, like I said, or, or or use them more. So, you know, take them out or, or use them a lot more, basically. Let's uh, move over to the recast. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Cody, who do you want to recast in this movie? Yeah, I've got multiple picks for this one as well. I'll shoot a couple at you, and then I'll I'll, I'll throw it over to you. But first off, we're gonna stay in, in the future here, and um, I want I wanted to recast Blink. Um, obviously, don't want to change any of the cultural appropriation because, uh, like I said, it is appropriate to to have those there. So for Blink, I want to bring in Aquafina. Um, I think she was great in Shang Chi. Like you said, that the future is so dim and dark. It'd be good to have a little bit of comic relief there, I think. And Aquafina, you know, she gets hated on, I think, a little bit. But everything that I've seen her in, I, I do like her a lot. So I'd love to bring in just a little bit more, you know, hope into the future. And I think she'd be perfect for that. And then secondly, staying in the future, I do want to recast Bishop. You know, uh, the actor who's in Jurassic World, I am a fan of. But he he kind of just does remind me of Idris Elba. And I think having Idris Elba in that role would be just amazing and kind of have the same amount of dialogue. It's like a has. Heimdall fit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like keep the amount, the exact same amount of dialogue, but it's just Idris Elba instead. And I think that'd be a perfect character. Hey man, 
he just deserves more but whatever sure <laughs> the re- why can't you just make him quicksilver you fucking mm. true oh he'd be good as quicksilver too i like that yeah, I'm not gonna say no to Idris in any role, basically. But <laughs> Luther, the Fallen Son, out this weekend. Nicholas Holt, I, I said it. I don't think he's very good in this. I'd like to see him replaced. Um, obviously, you're you're picking an actor to play Beast, but you also need a, a guy who can play the you know basically the nerd, right? The Doctor. And um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take Daniel Radcliffe as my uh, replacement for Nicholas Holt. Uh, you know, people always try and fan cast him as Wolverine. I don't think that he really fits into that role as well. But uh, you know throw on some Harry Potter glasses and, and make him a, give him a lab coat and he can be beast. He's a hairy guy too. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate that. I think he recast him recently in, in one of our other episodes too. Uh, Radcliffe's becoming the new uh, De- Batista out here. So uh, I'll, I'll show about it in a couple episodes in a recast. Uh, but I actually did want to recast um, beast as well. Like we mentioned, I, I don't think uh, Nichols Holt is the best actor. And I decided to go a little bit older I guess that doesn't really make sense with the whole continuity stuff, but I don't, I don't really care. Closer yeah. to Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I wanted to cast Nathan Fillion in this role. He kind of just gives off that nerdy energy that you need. I don't think I really you know, buy that Nicholas Holt is this genius uh, that Beast is, is supposed to be. And Nathan Fillion, I mean, maybe he's not the smartest guy, but he's smarter than Nicholas Holt, I think. And yeah, I, I just think he'd be good in that role. Um, basically anybody other than Nicholas Holt. But yeah, Nathan Fillion, again, he, he's not doing too much, uh, definitely at that time. So he, he's definitely free and available as well. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> True, in, in one scene. but And he's also not really in it. Um, and then one other uh, recast I did have too. I wanted to recast Sunspot. Um, and I guess... This is a this is a really bad recast. This is basically a joke, so don't even take this seriously. But I was thinking Daniel Brule in this role, uh, just because every Daniel Brule role, like he has no dialogue. I feel like it's the same thing. And I wanted to change Sunspot uh, from like a Spanish character to a German character, so Daniel Brule would just be speaking German the entire time, uh, which again is what he does in all his movies. Uh, yeah, I just want to throw him in give it a little bit more diverse i guess language wise with with the future cast fair enough daniel brule <laughs> he could be your next uh you could be your dave batista um <laughs> i just want to get jennifer lawrence out of this movie because i know she hated playing mystique obviously i think she's great she's uh you know one of our favorite actresses for sure yeah especially in this time she's in her goddamn prime 2014 um oh, yeah. but yeah get her in some other stuff don't make her sit in the makeup chair putting on all that blue uh makeup so uh, for me, this is, again, this is similar to probably Nathan Fillion, actually, a little bit too old for the role. But if we're going to get somebody, get her at an appropriately aged time, I think Charlize Theron could play Mystique really well. Nice. Yeah, keep bringing in Fast and the Furious actors. I, I back <laughs> it. <laughs> but no, I, I think that would actually be a good pick. And she probably wouldn't complain as much about the makeup either. So, yeah. Yeah. Charlize, she's a trooper. She shaved her head for Furiosa. She can put on some blue makeup for yeah. uh, Mystique. She is really, really good in, in uh, Fury Road, to be fair. That that probably is one of her one of my favorites. That movies. that's really the comp that, that makes me think. And then also just like even the action, like she could do the like fighting that Mystique does, I think. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, she's like I said, fast and furious. She she's proven she can do action, I think. But yeah, no, she's got she's got some chops on her. I, I like that. Let's move on to our rating. <laughs> Out of 69, Cody, uh, what are you going to give this movie? Yeah, I assume mine is going to be much higher than yours. 
Uh, if you can't tell by now in this episode, I really, really do like this movie. And I, I do think it is the best X-Men movie. But I'm going to give it a 64 out of 69. That is a very high score, I feel like, for myself. Probably the highest. Um, that, that'll probably be the highest of the season for a while, unless we do a couple really good films. But yeah, just a personal favorite of mine. And uh, it, it's got to be up there. I, I haven't actually input it into Letterboxd, but I think I'm going to go five stars. I, I don't think there's any other option for me. <laughs> So, yeah, it's definitely personal bias, but uh, I'm going to go 64. Yeah, I am going to be lower. Um, 64 is a respectable score, though, and I, I know you're a huge fan. For me, it's going to be a 49. This is like a, a very strong three and a half, almost four star movie. I don't think any outside of Logan, I don't think any of the X-Men movies are like amazing. Like even first class is like a four star for me. Um, this is my third favorite. I, I like X2, and it's purely because I love the character of Nightcrawler, and I love that opening scene. Um, I can talk about that opening scene on a whole nother podcast for an hour, which I'm sure we will probably do one day down the line. But uh, yeah, 49 for Days of Future Past. Respectable film. Im impressive considering everything surrounding it. Yeah, I think that's around the general consensus. I think on Letterboxd, like the average is like three and a half, three three point six 3.6 or something. I agree. And also Nightcrawler. Yeah, I, I wish he was in this movie. Um, I wish he was one of the mutants at the end instead of uh, like Warpath or somebody that that would have been awesome. Um, definitely one of my favorite uh, from the original trilogy. Yeah, I'm a huge Nightcrawler fan. Got a little Funko Pop in my bedroom. That's where it's at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Post credit scene, Cody. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? This movie has a post credit scene. Uh, let's talk about that first. Uh, it's Apocalypse, or at least yeah. a, a young Apocalypse in Egypt. Um, I guess, were you hype when you first saw it? Uh, when I first saw it, I mean, I liked it. I think it is still pretty good on rewatch. Um, but obviously, it's just nothing like the Oscar Isaac version that we saw. Um, it was a cool tease, like him building the pyramids on his own. His powers visually look very cool. And then obviously the horseman tease in the background too, I think is fun. But yeah, it's okay. I don't think it's anything special. It's it's sort of introducing a new character, but not really. It's just saying, oh, Apocalypse is going to be in the next movie. We haven't cast it yet. But yeah, it's kind of weird in hindsight for sure, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting because... I didn't really exactly remember what it was as I was waiting for it to happen. And then like, I, I was like, Oh, it's the apocalypse. He's cool. And it, it doesn't show his face at first. And I was like, had they cast Oscar Isaac at this point? Like I'm waiting. And then it pans around and like, Nope, that's just some random kid. Um, sick. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of weird. And I feel like in X-Men movies too, I can't remember if it was in apocalypse or dark Phoenix. They tease, uh, they, they do a small tease for Mr. Sinister. So like in their post credit scenes, pretty much they just try to set up the villain for the next movie, which I don't know if that's the best thing to do with post credit scenes. Um, if you do it uh, like one or two times, I think it's okay. Obviously with Thanos, they did it like 10. But yeah, I mean, in hindsight, like I said, I'm not a massive fan, but at the time I, I thought it was pretty cool. V visually, I, I feel like you can't really argue against it. What's your uh, what's your vision for a post credit scene though, Cody? Yeah. And it's really hurt me um, to go this entire episode and not bring up the fact that, you know, Michael Fassbender and Ian McKellen, they have no damn scenes together. And that's that's honestly one of my biggest gripes with the movie. I, I wish just those two somehow, some way, it's the goddamn X-Men movies. Like, there's no continuity. Just make it happen. I, I want to see these two, two guys talk. So my scene, obviously, is going to bring those two together, you know, pan from black, whatever. 
they're just we see these two guys talking in that weird dimension that uh you know professor x was in as well he probably just brought him in or something as a throwaway line but uh they're plotting something evil <laughs> basically it, shit's going down and um the one line that sort of ends off the entire scene is did you think i would change the past without a plan that's old eve mckellen by the way did you think i would change the past without a plan and they're like cut to black and it's like oh magneto will return um, you love your will returns kenny <laughs> i do i really do i might have to not use that anymore since we've done it the first couple of episodes but yeah basically just any sort of scene where these guys are like talking about their evil plan together i'm down for um like we've talked about two really good actors and um it really does pain me that they don't have a scene together we see an old man sitting at a bar he's looking up at a tv and Bolivar Trask has escaped from whatever custody he was in. And <laughs> then we cut to Bolivar Trask and he's driving out into the countryside. He goes out there, he pulls up to a barn, he gets out, down comes the MCU vulture. <laughs> <laughs> With a mask. Um, uh, it's not necessarily Michael Keaton, but you can definitely hear no. Michael Keaton's ADR voice there. He, he looks like at Boulevard Trask and he says, not sure how I got here, but I think it had something to do with Spider-Man. I think a bunch of guys like us should team up, do some good, and then cut to black. What do you think? Um, it sounds okay. I don't know, you know why anybody would ever put that into a movie, but yeah, it's not bad. Okay, if you don't love that, I got a second one. Fine, Cody, you didn't <laughs> like that one. Whatever. I, I think it's a great idea. I'm sure Keaton would love to do it. He'd put a ton of effort into the voice. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's make our seconds. This is going to be a continuation of the Logan in the future scene. So Logan's asleep in bed. The day has passed. He's been hanging out with Charles Xavier, reacclimating, whatever. He's asleep. Yeah. Nightcrawler fucking jumps into the room. He's back, baby. But he's wearing Magneto's helmet. Interesting, Ooh. you know, look for sure. Pretty cool, right? He jumps in, that. he grabs Logan, he wakes him up, he says, shh, and then he jumps out. And they jump, he did through a series of jumps, they go like way far away from uh, the, the school. Yeah. And then he looks at Wolverine when far away in the night under street lamp and he says, You can't trust Charles. And then we see him like hear something and he turns and he looks really surprised and then he vanishes and then it's over. That's pretty good. I actually really like that. Just him with the mask on, I think would be just something I don't think I've ever seen before. So yeah, I love that. That, is, that may be the best post-credit scenes that we will ever pitch on this show. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I needed like to start with a really bad one <laughs> with the first <laughs> one to, to make my second one seem better. Um, that wasn't, you know, I, tr I tried to look into some like comic book, like what would be the next storyline they do. They have done an evil Xavier thing in the past. I think it's kind of like a multiverse thing. I don't think it was very well received, but fuck it. He changed the past. Let's get evil Xavier. I think that'd be a cool villain because how do you really defeat Charles Xavier? Uh, well, you just wear the helmet. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good point i guess there you go nightcrawler figured get, it out or you get him hooked on uh you know that serum he had the entire time he's, see, he's basically he's a druggie in this movie basically i mean yeah see my, my general idea here to explain it my my thinking maybe magneto's dead so nightcrawler has his helmet like you know charles kills him but then like everybody else is being brainwashed and controlled by charles to appear like normal so that's kind of like it's that. uh 
yeah, one of those situations, like a Matrix type thing. <laughs> That's dope. I mean, it's better than the Morbius scene. So, yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hit six degrees of Dave. You, man who has lain with the Lascarian. Uh, we're going to be connecting for this one. So we don't do Hugh Jackman again. We're going to do James McAvoy connected to Dave Batista in six degrees or less, not necessarily as little as possible. Mm. Let's talk about it, Cody. What, what path did you take from Dave to James? Yeah. You know, I was thinking a little long and hard about this and I wanted to go the split direction with James McAvoy. That was, that was definitely the, the route I wanted to take. You could go a couple. I was thinking really seriously about doing the wanted direction, but then you could you get down the Angelina Jolie route. You, you just get lost there. So I went uh, split, and um, a really cool thing about split is that it's like one of Anya Taylor Joy's like first true movie roles. Um, so I had to you know throw her in there. Then past that, originally I went New Mutants, but God, there's nobody else in that movie. Other Tried than to jump you. back to the mutants. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the guy from Stranger Things, which I don't think we were doing TV here, really. So and I said, Game right. of Thrones girl, Maisie Williams. Oh, true. Yeah, but what's she in movie-wise either? Nothing. I can't think of any of them, to be honest. Um, yes, Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> I think we could have gone back to the Dink Man as well. But anyways, we're getting lost here. So I went James McAvoy to split Honor Taylor Joy to Amsterdam, which is an abomination of a film. Lots of actors, though, so it's a good one yeah. to go for. Briefly, I thought about going John David Washington, but instead I went the easy route and went Margot Robbie. And then, of course, I went to the Suicide Squad, which has, you know, a James Gunn joint. So I went Michael Rooker, then to Guardians of the Galaxy with Dave Batista. So we got there in four. Uh, we could have made it more interesting, I think, we, you know, without picking Margot Robbie from Amsterdam because there's so many actors in that movie. But I, I decided to make it easy for myself. I like it. And Cody, my thinking was the exact same as yours. I went James McAvoy to split. Nice. Maybe his best performance. I mean, you know, yeah. maybe a problematic performance in terms of like mental health, but I don't know. He's a fucking superhero, beast, whatever. Um, and then I went Anya Taylor-Joy because she's also fantastic and she's in a ton of great stuff. Um, nice. You know, we haven't defined the rules of this game, but I'm assuming TV is safe to go for. So uh, I jumped sure. to the Queen's Gambit, which you know, as a show, I, I think I recommended for you to check out. Uh, you enjoyed it, correct? Oh, yeah. Great show. Love that show. Yeah. And that's uh, got Harry Melling, who, if you don't know, he's the the guy whose eyes are kind of close together and in, in the opposite of Anya Taylor-Joy's. Um, and he's in Harry Potter, all the Harry Potter movies. Um, he plays Dudley Dursley. But I, I particularly want to mention Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix, because I think him and Daniel Radcliffe actually have a pretty good scene um, near the beginning of it. And then they get attacked by Dementors. But of course, also in that movie is Rupert Grant, who is in mm -hmm. Knock at the Cabin oh. with Dave Bautista. So there we wow. go. A Knock at the Cabin, six degrees. The first of many, I'm sure. But I love that. Yeah, I did not even think about the Rupert Grant connection in that movie. That, that's genius. Yeah, you know, the thing is, we're going to be doing a lot of Dave Batista, and I want to try and, you know, mix up the movie. I thought, you know, who's in Stuber was my first thought. But I said, no, we'll go we'll go knock at the cabin because uh, Rupert Grant's a fun one to connect. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, I've used Guardians. Well, no, I guess I used uh, Infinity War last episode. So I think we should do a thing where uh, every episode we, we have to, uh, you know, try and come up with a new Dave Batista movie to connect it with that we haven't used before. I think we could probably make it through the season by doing that, but. It would, it would be tough. Dave might need to, Dune Part 2 might need to rush its release date soon. 
we we can use Austin Butler for for Dude Part Two. Go ahead. Okay, <laughs> Mama. All right, let's head to recommendations. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. We are recording this pretty close to our last one, so I don't have a ton. I do want to shout out Mandalorian season three uh, that's been releasing. I've seen the first two episodes up to this point. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Baby Yoda's back. He's hanging out with the Mandalorian. And, uh, you know, Bo-Katan's been in it. Ahsoka's been in it. You, you get all the fun players. And, uh, yeah, it's been a good start. And then uh, also Abbott Elementary, another TV show that uh, is continuing its second season. I think it's beginning to wind down. But um, it's really the only like actively airing on linear network television show that I watch. So i um, got to shout that out. Uh, Scream 6 is out this weekend. Cody, it's on your fantasy team. Are you, are you hyped? I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, and the preliminary reviews as well have, have seemed pretty good, more positive than I, I would have even expected. I mean, I think it's just the Jenna Ortega, you know, uh, power in Hollywood right now. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see it, honestly. And uh, of course, if it's on my my team, I hope it kills out the box office this weekend. How you, how have you, so, you know, we haven't really talked too much on this podcast, um, but we are in this fantasy filmography league with Carter and Jackson. Um, you've had two movies released so far with Sharper and Winnie the Pooh. I mean, how do you feel like your uh, team's going to end up shaking out? You still feeling confident? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's looking, and I haven't seen either of those movies. Just to, to throw that out, either I do want to check out a uh, Blood and Honey. Um, it's obviously a bit of a more limited release, but I would assume um, in the coming months it'll it'll go to some streaming service and and have a big hit there. Um, and then Sharper, I don't have Apple TV Plus, so I'm gonna have to figure that out. Um, but I, I love my team. I I mean, you know, just going up and down. I got a couple of DC properties got guardians three which is i mean obviously going to be the number one movie of the year um and then yes yeah, scream is another sort of I, I took a couple early movies which i feel like is sometimes a good thing but sometimes not but i think horror wise uh you know right now it's it's not really any of the other competition um so i i think it's going to kill it at the box office that I, I in hindsight i really am happy that that i got that pick and also the flash looks great so hopefully that kills it too but yeah, how are you feeling about your team? So I'm feeling pretty good at it, which I'm kind of surprised about. Yeah, um, I picked. I don't I haven't had a release yet, and all of my movies are pretty much coming out at the end of the year. I wanted to go for kind of you know that thinking of like oh awards players maybe, um, but we'll see. Um, so I haven't had anything come out for sure. We have gotten the air trailer and a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer, which I'm hype about. Um, but I do have my first movie with a good person coming out in uh, two weeks, which I recently picked up. So. I mean, listen, I'm excited for Dune, probably like it's, you know, top five for me, most anticipated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with my team and, um, you know, there's still moves to be made for sure. Oh, yeah. It's very early in the year. Um, and I agree. I, I like that uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer a lot, actually, more than I thought I would. But, yeah, you do have, you know, Hunger Games still. So you're you're probably got no chance of winning, really, but. <laughs> Rachel Ziegler, her and she's in Shazam, dude. You can't be bashing. True. Yeah, but that looks pretty bad, dude. I'll trade you Shazam for for Hunger Games if you're down. No shot. You would actually take that. Uh, but anyway, my recommendations, like you said, we we filmed pretty much back to back here. But and out again, pick and roll. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. Check out the World Wide Web. All, all of our stuff, obviously, is linked in the in everything good. But I did check out a few more episodes of Scrubs last night. 
Got that. All right. So I got to the episode where JD and Elliot finally hook up. And um, I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was, you know, handled actually really well. I didn't expect them to hook up in season one, if I'm being honest. And before that, too, it was like a, a super emotional episode with, you know, his his other nurse uh, girlfriend he was seeing. She's like hooked on. I don't even know what it was. It was some drugs or, or whatever. Percocets, I believe. I'm tired, but it was definitely Percocets. And that was an interesting episode, too. Um, so kind of back to back, I thought pretty solid, you know, Scrubs season one ups. So I'm still working my way through that and, and I'm still enjoying it. So we'll definitely keep you updated on that front as well. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing more about that for sure. Definitely check out Pick and Roll. Going to be the next thing that pops up on the feed after this episode. So uh, get ready for March. Hype for that uh, March Madness bracket, you know, breakdown. Obviously, Selection Sunday and Oscar Sunday this Sunday. I mentioned that in the last ep. But uh, yeah, fun time on uh, on this podcast, I think. A lot, of, a lot of stuff incoming very, very soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay capping. Peace. Peace. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.